the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Ascension of Jesus Christ and what it means for you and I next here on Abounding Grace. Of everything that Jesus has accomplished for us and in our stead, his ascension is one that is more exciting than most. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We're looking at the ascension of Jesus and the significance for you and I as his followers, as his children, as his brothers and sisters. Please join us. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, let's catch up with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Gary Wagner, in Luke 24, for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. The Ascension of Christ, Part 2. We see here in the last chapter of Luke what we, as Christ's disciples, are called to do with our lives. In verses 46 and 47, we're given what is called the Great Commission. And we are told in this commission to go into all the world and proclaim the central truths of Scripture that Christ suffered and died and rose again on the third day so that those who put their faith in Him might have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And that repentance is absolutely necessary if that forgiveness is to take place. After Christ opened the minds of his disciples to understand the scriptures, he said to them in verses 46 and 47, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Christ says, Go into all the nations and proclaim the central focus of all of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, that Christ the Lord, God incarnate, came into the world to seek and to save the lost, and it is only in His salvific work and men and women and young people believing it that anyone can be saved from their sins. And then in a litany of statements, Luke tells us, the source of our mission to the world, the means by which our message is to be presented to the world, the people to whom our message is to be delivered, and the spiritual power of carrying out our mission effectively. And two weeks ago, we were only able to go through the first of these statements, the source of our mission to the world, found in verses 46a and 47b. Thus it stands and in his name. The source of our mission is the word of God alone. It is not our opinion, nor is it our experience. We are to be faithful to the all-powerful revelatory word of God, and we are to be faithful in doing and saying what God has called us to do and to say. 
And then we saw that when we realize that the source of our mission is the word of God, it produces two things within us. It produces in us boldness and humility. It makes us bold because it is the very word of God, the ultimate truth. And therefore, when the world tries to silence us and manipulate our consciences, we should never be intimidated. We must boldly proclaim the truths of God's word. Remember, the Bible is the very word from the mouth of the all-knowing, sovereign creator of the universe. We must boldly proclaim it before the world. Then our understanding, <coughs> excuse me, of God's word as the source of our mission in this world should produce humility within us. We are nothing. We are nothing but cheap, frail clay pots that God fills up with a revelation of himself as we study it. The truth of this universe did not originate with us. It is a great treasure that the Holy Spirit enables us to draw from. And that should humble us when we understand that its truths and its powers to convict does not depend on us at all. And now in verse 46, we see the content of the church's message to the world. What is the message that God's word gives us? This verse has an indicative mood and an imperative mood. Listen, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. So there is an indicative. Do you remember your grammar? An indicative is a statement of fact. And then there is an imperative. And what is an imperative? It is a statement of demand. The indicative comes first. Christ must suffer and die and arise from the dead so that our sins might be forgiven. And then the imperative. Go and tell the world about this Savior. That's Luke's entire message. The Bible is not a code of ethics about this Savior. You are not to go in uh, into the world and start telling people, don't do this and don't do that, do this and do that. You start with Christ. The gospel starts with a crucified Savior and then a risen living Lord. And you call people to faith in Him as their Savior and submission to Him as their Lord and King. You might be saying, well, how do I do that? How do I have Christ as my Savior? How do I submit myself to Him? How do I surrender myself to His Lordship? How does the power of this gospel of a Savior and Lord impact my own personal history? Answer, repent of your sins. Now the word repent has been worn pretty thin. It means really so little today. So that it means that if a Christian repents, you know, he stops smoking cigarettes so much. He stops drinking too much. He no longer goes to R-rated movies. He stops cursing. And that's about all it means. But repentance is a far, far bigger word than that. Without repentance, it is absolutely impossible for anyone to experience the saving impact of the gospel of a crucified Christ and of a risen and reigning Lord. 
So what is repentance? Well, there are all kinds of great books and wonderful sermons on the subject. And I listened to a sermon on this subject by Charles Spurgeon just the other day. And the title of that sermon that he preached August 19th, 1860 was, Christ First and Last Subject Preached. That's insightful in itself. When Jesus began to preach, the very first thing he said was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what was the last thing he said? He said there in Luke 24, 47, Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in my name. And then in Spurgeon's sermon, he tells us where repentance originated. And he defines what the basic ingredients of repentance are, which is very insightful. And first of all, where does repentance originate? Well, it doesn't originate with you. You can't just stop and repent any time you take a notion to. Because if you are an unbeliever in rebellion against God, the whole course of your life is directed against Him, and the last thing you want to do is repent of your sins in the way the Bible means repent. And in order for a sinner to repent of his sins, it will take him nothing less than the same power that created the universe to enable him to repent. So repentance is a gift of God's grace. It is something God has to work within you and motivate you to do. Or otherwise, you will never in a million years repent of your sins. You will never even want to. That is what wretches we are, beloved. But then Spurgeon also points out that not only does repentance originate in the grace of God and the Spirit of God, that is, He has to give you repentance and exert His omnipotent power in you and make you want to repent, but it also originates in the gospel. That there is nothing meritorious about repentance. Understand, my dear friends, that when God says repent of your sins, it has nothing to do with you earning enough points so that God will forgive you. In watching CSI Miami a couple of years ago, I saw one of the saddest things I've ever seen on TV. Horatio, the main character of this program, he's always fully on the side of injustice and, of course, against uh, side of justice and always against injustice. Well, this particular show starts out with Detective Horatio in a confession booth in the Roman Catholic Church. And, of course, the priest is on one side of the partition, Horatio on the other. And the priest says to Horatio, Are you here to ask for forgiveness of new sins since the last time you were here? He says, No. So the priest asked, why are you here? Horatio said to to keep asking for forgiveness for that one sin I committed so many years ago that ruined another person's life. The priest tried to console him, but he was so guilt-ridden over whatever that sin was, which we are never told what that sin was. He is so guilt-ridden 
that he can't get past that terrible regret over what he did in his past. So he starts to ask the priest a question, which the priest already seems to be aware that he's going to ask. And so the priest interrupts him and says, I know what you're going to ask. When will I ever do enough? When have I done enough to earn forgiveness of my sins? When have I done enough to erase this life-consuming regret for my past? And all the priest said to him was, you'll know. You'll know when you have repented adequately. You will know when you have done enough good works to erase the guilt of your sin in the past. Uh, One thing that describes Horatio is that he is driven in every show to rescue people from wickedness. It doesn't matter the price that he has to pay or the involvement. He's out to preserve justice and to punish injustice. He is driven by the desire that he has got to do more to make sure he has earned forgiveness for his sins. I've got to make sure I have repented adequately. I've got to make sure I have done enough good works to erase these horrible things from my past that weigh heavy on my conscience and on my present life. So I ask you, how do you know when you have done enough? You can never, never, never do enough. If that is the nature of your religion, to try and pile up points doing good works and avoiding evil things in an attempt to erase the past and replace it with a hopeful future, then when you die, you will go to hell. There is nothing meritorious about repentance. Repentance will not save you, but it is a sure thing. You can't be saved without it. We're talking about a repentance that believes the gospel. I repent of my sins because I feel guilty over those sins. I grieve over the sins of my past, but as I do, I embrace Christ and his gospel and have the assurance of forgiveness through his bloody death on the cross. That weight of guilt is then relieved. That's what people like Horatio need to hear. The whole burden can be lifted away right here and now through repentance. Repentance is not an attempt to win favor. It is the result of believing that the only way your sins can be forgiven is through faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And remember that faith is also a gift from God. Well, what are the basic ingredients of true repentance? Spurgeon says there are four. Illumination, humiliation, detestation, and transformation. And he is exactly right. What is it to repent of your sins? Jesus says the gospel must be preached to the world, and this imperative must be given. Don't leave the impression to the world that everyone is saved and is a Christian, that everyone is going to go to God no matter what they do, that God just loves everybody. Understand, as Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. 
If anyone is to participate in salvation and enter heaven, they must repent of their sins, not according to the way they think repentance should be, but according to the way God says repentance must be. So what is it to repent of your sins as far as God is concerned? The first word Spurgeon says is is a basic ingredient of repentance is illumination. That is, the sinner, in order to really repent, must be enabled to know God and certain things about Him. He must be enlightened. And the first thing he must be enlightened by God is to know Himself. You see, the unbeliever no matter how many degrees he has in psychology or psychiatry, he does not know himself. Oh, he thinks he does. In fact, in many cases, they absolutely certain that they do. But he doesn't know himself because he doesn't see himself in the light of God's perfection and God's holiness and God's demand on him in his word. And he does not understand the true nature of his standing before God and the depths of the sins that pollute and eat at every aspect of his life. He has got to be enlightened concerning the horrible enormity of his sins which thoroughly pollute and enslave him. He is not the man or she the woman that they think they are. They have got to be enlightened by God about themselves. But he's also got to be enlightened about God. You see, the reason most people find repentance irrelevant or distasteful is because they really don't know who God is. Oh, again, they think they do. Americans, at least most, are not an irreligious people. We are, in our minds, some of the most religious people on the face of the earth. And we all have our points of view and seem to think that we're all experts when it comes to talking about God. Have have you ever noticed that? When it comes to talking about God and politics, everyone seems to be an expert. The problem is that the view of God of most Americans today who are unbelievers is not what God has revealed of himself. It is not an understanding of God that they have gotten from Him. It is an understanding of God that they have created in their own minds in an effort to try and keep from having to deal with the God who is really there. So as a result, their God is too small. Their God is like a gentle big granddaddy who lets you just get away with things that he shouldn't allow. That's the way many think of God. You see, God considers all aspects of your sins, and He knows it's not your fault. He knows there are other aspects of your environment that you can't control that leads to your sin. You know, you commit adultery, but it's it's not your fault. Bless your heart. That other person had too great a power over you, and The lust was just more than you could deal with. You know, you don't really want to lie, but if you hadn't, the consequences would have been too severe. Others may have been harmed, or your ministry to others would have been damaged beyond repair. They're just mitigating circumstances. It's the way my parents raised me. It's my environment. People need to be enlightened as to who God is a holy God, 
a God who is so impeccably pure that he hates, loathes, and despises the smallest sin in a person's life and is determined to destroy that person for his sins unless he repents. But you say, preacher, that's not the God I serve. That may be true, but that is the only God there is. And you need to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit as to who God is. And not only as to who you are and who God is, but to who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just one of the greatest men that ever lived. He's one of a kind. He is the God-man who came to earth to mediate between God and sinners, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross in place of those who believe in him, and to arise from the dead in order to conquer death for us. And now he reigns over everything. Is that the way you think of Jesus? Or do you think of him the way PBS and the History Channel and the Discovery Channel portray him? Oh, a great Galilean wise man. Mysterious, but he loved everybody. You need to be enlightened. Repentance starts with enlightenment, but it goes on to humiliation. After being illumined concerning our own sinfulness before God, the repentant person now strips himself of all self-love, all self-righteousness, and self-boasting. He lays flat on his face before God, and he cries, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's nothing in me to put my confidence in. There's nothing in me that can claim righteousness. All of my righteousness is as filthy rags. There is nothing good in me to love apart from what God does in me. And he doesn't compare himself to other men and say, well, you know, compared to that adulterer and that pervert and that wife abuser, I'm a pretty good guy. I've never done any of those things. But you see, the standard of justice is not in those other people. The standard of justice is God's holy character and God's holy law. That is the light by which we are to judge ourselves. And when we realize what God demands of us and how far short we have fallen, we fall flat on our faces in deep humiliation and we cry out, not Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not like those other miserable people, but God be merciful to me, the sinner. Paul, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, said, This is a faithful saying and unworthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. Now I say, not meaning this, of course, that that is one of the mistakes in the Bible. Why? Because I know I'm the chief of sinners. I truly by God's grace, see myself as the chief of sinners. Of course, it's not really a mistake. But the point is, when a Christian sees himself in the light of God's face, in God's law, he is so broken that he sees himself as the only sinner in the world. There is no sinner as filthy and vile and wretched and hell-deserving as I am. With illumination and repentance comes humiliation and the cry to God to be merciful to me, the sinner, and to find in God's mercy our only hope through the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the third ingredient, Spurgeon said, to true repentance is detestation. 
The person who is repenting of his sins goes a step further than just sorrow for his sins. And boy, this is really psychologically incorrect. He must come to detest his sin and hate himself for sinning against God. Now that is an absolutely essential ingredient to repentance, that he comes to the point where he detests his sin. He looks at the sins that he commits in his life and what it does to himself and other people, and more importantly, how it displeases his Creator, and he hates his sin and hates himself for sinning. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.